Uh, I want to welcome again. Thank you guys. Some of you uh, just uh, just pulled up a little bit ago. Welcome to church today. Those of you watching us, welcome. Um, I'm just so honored uh, to continue. Um, you know, hey, I was a little bit nervous this week as I was watching the weather reports. I was like, I don't know. It's going to be a little iffy whether or not we get to pull this off today. But man, it uh, I can't. I, hey, we're doing it. We're here. And uh, just so thankful. Amen. And just so thankful that we get to do this. And, uh, you know, we've been talking on a topic uh, the last, uh, I think it's been four weeks. We're going into week five now. And that topic represents who Jesus is, right? Jesus is. And my prayer, my hope that through this, um, you have been challenged and potentially, possibly, with some of the thoughts, the characteristics, the traits that you may have defined of who Jesus was to your life and have been challenged to a point to where you are seeing it within Scripture of who He truly is and not just what we have thought of Him to be. You know, Jesus is defined far more and far greater than our minds will ever be able to comprehend or define. Um, He is so much more to every one of us within our lives. He is the very essence of love. He's the very essence of community and of encouragement and discipline and peace. You know, uh, we looked at various topics of who Jesus is. The first week we looked at Jesus as our teacher, not only as a scholar or a theologian rather, um, but also in our in life example. You know, he went through many of the same struggles that you and I have gone through, some of the same temptations that we have gone through. Uh, The second week, we looked at Jesus as being our shepherd. What does that mean? He's being our leader. He's uh, guiding us to green pastures, and, you know, he's putting us beside the still waters, and he is our rod and our staff. He's there comforting us, but he is also there as discipline within our lives. Week three, we looked at who Jesus was, or excuse me, who he still is, and that is he is the lamb. He is the perfect sacrifice that he has paid a price that none of us can ever afford to pay. A debt that we cannot uh, afford to pay on our own. We, we learned that he uh, was slaughtered for us in, in order to build relationship, in order to give us an eternal home. And then last week, one of the most encouraging things, I think, of who Jesus is, and that is he is coming again. We see all throughout scriptures in the New Testament where they would greet each other with this term, Maranatha, meaning this, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I think we can all uh, attest to that this morning that we want him to come. I want him to come right now. You know, I don't want to wait another moment. I'm ready for the Lord, but he still has a plan. He still has things to accomplish his message to continue to go out. Today, what we're going to look at is simply this. Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus accomplishes wonders. He accomplishes miracles. He still wants to do what we would consider as the impossible or the, even the unimaginable or the unthinkable. So let's dive right into the Word of God today within our theme scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 2. And it says this, And so it was with me, my brothers and sisters, that when I came to you, I did not come to you with eloquence or human wisdom, meaning I did not come to you with false claims of who Jesus is. 
goes on to say, As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except this, watch, Jesus Christ and him crucified. What we're going to look at today, and, and, and we're going to talk about a particular trait, and this is one that, that will get people excited, but at the same time, it can cause many tensions and many questioning, not only within the church world, but within society and culture. Because oftentimes, we are praying for certain things to happen that simply just don't go or come about the way that we think they should have or within the time limits that we have had. We question if Jesus even does miracles or wonders or the impossible or the unthinkable anymore. Otherwise, we, we, we believe that, you know, is he still a miracle-working God? Can God still do as he did within scriptures and take what was impossible and make it possible? Does God still, you know, uh, uh, bring restoration to marriages? Does he still do uh, the miracles that we see all throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament? Do we still serve a miracle working God? Is Jesus still doing miracles today? I think for us to really understand this topic requires us to look within Scripture. And one of the things that we do and, and that we were taught within seminary and Bible college is this. Whenever there is a topic that you want to take a focus on, look at the first moment that it happened within Scripture. What that is really called is the law of firsts. And so what I want to do today is take a look at a story of Jesus within Scripture and really break down what would be considered as one of the first miracles that he uh, was involved in. And so let's take a look in John chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And it says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana, at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to this wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Understand this fact that the story is in the setting of a wedding. And it, it, this is extremely important for us to understand because within weddings come high expectation. You know, um, I, I've done numerous weddings and, and every time that I sit down with a couple, the, the, the bride especially, is looking at every single detail and wants to make sure that every detail of that wedding and that ceremony is going to be met to her expectation. And I even find it comical that as you go through the rehearsal and the planning and, and the moms get involved and, and the aunts get involved and everybody's throwing their opinions out, the one that truly matters to me is the bride herself. And so they're looking and there's a high expectation when it comes to weddings. And so for a pastor, uh, you know, like me, it is extremely important and you feel the pressure to make sure that you're doing exactly as you are uh, instructed to do, that, that you are meeting the need of that. And if something goes wrong, if you miss pronunciate a name or, or God forbid you give the wrong name 
in a ceremony. That has not happened to me. Hopefully it never does, right? But uh, I will tell you a funny story. I did a wedding one time and uh, I was going through the wedding, you know, going through the ceremony. And I love weddings because they're scripted. Like you can't mess it up if you're reading what is in front of you. Well, I got kind of confident in myself and I was reading and going through the ceremony and I took my eyes away and I came across a very uh, familiar passage of scripture that said, that was supposed to say that a man is to leave his mother and father and, you know, be, be you know, cling to his wife. And instead, what I ended up reading was simply this. During the middle of what this great celebration, this great wedding was, is, and the man will leave his wife and go back to his mother and father. That was a huge mistake. That was one of those moments that I could have just like, I just wanted to walk right off the stage. And I didn't even bring attention to it. I just kept on going because I didn't want to look like an idiot, even though everybody was kind of chuckling at it. So, but what is, what, what is interesting about this story with Jesus in this setting is that his first miracle to take place uh, was in an atmosphere or was in a setting of high expectations. Now, understand this. Whenever we are looking for God to get involved in something, what do we have? Well, you and I, we have high expectations. We expect that when we bring it before the Lord that, God, you are going to answer this exactly how I want it to be answered within the time limit I want it to be answered. And regardless, God, if it's your will, plan, or purpose, you're still going to do it. Let me help you out. Reality is this. If it doesn't line up with God, he's not going to do it. If it's not according to his plan, it's not going to happen. And if it's not according to his timeline, you're going to have to wait a little longer. All right. But what we need to do here is understand that when we have these expectations of life that are so high that instead we find ourselves oftentimes living what can be defined as disappointment or misery if it doesn't work out just like we thought it was going to. So what I want to do here is I want to look at a, a, a statement within this passage that read this way. The wine was gone. Now, in the Jewish culture, and, and this is major, and we need to understand that there was a lot of emphasis, uh, not so much on the ceremony, but within the reception. In fact, um, in some aspects of it or in some ceremonies, what they would literally do would afterwards for the reception, they would have seven, seven, excuse me, different feasts or different celebrations. I'm glad that's changed today. You know, I don't want to go through, we, we, um, we, we, my, my family, we did a wedding uh, for our son back in, in uh, February and uh, man, it was great, but you know what? Let's just do one time through. That's all we need to do. Too much money being spent. Can I get an amen? All right. All right. That's awful, isn't it? Anyway, anyway. So this message here is geared toward those who, um, are, who are or have lived in their, in their life with a level of high expectation. But watch this. As the scripture mentioned, it said simply this, that the wine was gone or that the wine is gone. Now, the wine back then represented this joy. It represented joy. It was excitement. You know, there, there was high expectation. 
It was the center focus point of this celebration. Some of us today, the joy is gone within in some aspects of our lives. You know, we, we live in, in a different time right now, in a different season that none of us are accustomed to. And we sometimes can go through moments. I, I know because I have conversation with many of you. Even before the service today, just greeting you from a distance, some of you, I could tell that there was just a little something that was off right now. Some of you are going through struggles financially. We've never seen our economy to be in the shape that it is today. So what does that do? It takes away the joy sometimes. Some of you within your marriage, the joy is gone. Your job situations, the joy is gone. You're finding yourself to struggle within your life to find that joy. So what I want to do for the next few moments is focus on uh, the verse 3. And we're going to look at three things that we can do today to put that, that, that you know, number one would be this. I'm going to be honest with you. It's this. And this puts us in the wrong feeling. And that is we focus on feelings instead of faith. I want to repeat that, that we're focusing on our feelings instead of our faith. You know, uh, we, we, uh, we define three things here at this church uh, that we, we build upon. And that is learning, passion, and excellence. It's extremely important that we allow ourselves to be well-versed within Scripture and then allow our emotional side and, and, or passion to follow. But what we often do is we live our life accordingly with our faith, driven by emotion only. Can I help you? If you're driven by your emotional state, you're going to disappoint yourself. You will fail. It's important that we are allowing ourselves not to be emotionally driven. Um, I want to take a look at verse 3. It says, when the wine was gone. So what was happening here was that the focus was put on the problem instead, potentially, of what the spiritual solution would be. Everyone was getting upset over something that was simply superficial. Now, isn't it true that we find ourselves focusing on our problems rather than focusing on who the problem solver is, and that is Jesus Christ. It's so incredibly easy for you and I to fall into this trap that we forget about a verse that was written in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, and it says this, that we are to do something very simple. Live by faith and not by sight. It's very profound right now with what the culture that we're in the settings that we're in. Let's live by faith and not by what we're seeing or by what we're feeling around us. Let's live within our faith of Jesus Christ. All right? Now, here we go. Here's another thing. We take matters in our own hands. If I were to say who, who has done this, all of us could raise our hand. We could beep our horns. We could nod our heads. We could agree. How many times have we taken matters into our own hands? Hands. You know, you know what I'm talking about. God's not doing it on my time, so Lord, I'm going to strip that away from you, and now I'm going to try to put my, my solution to it. I'm going to put my two cents involved in it. I love this, and that is this. When God doesn't act the way we want him to or at the speed we want him to, here's what we do. I'll just do it myself. An example here is we see uh, Jesus' mother, and she, 
you know, we, we, we see here, and she says, and the Bible says, Jesus' mother said to him. You know, understanding this, it's not her wedding. She just a guest, but she sees a problem. She sees a situation. How many times have we taken a problem away from God to try and fix it on our own? I wrote down this quote that I, I ran across, and it was this. You can't have a problem and God have it at the same time. You can't have the problem in your hands and God have it at the same time. Scripture clearly tells us what we are to what? Cast our cares. What does that mean? Giving our cares to him. If we are truly giving our cares to God, what we're doing is we're taking it out of our possession and we're placing it into his possession for him to take care of. We see a scripture in Isaiah chapter 30, uh, verse 15, it says this, in repentance and rest is your salvation. What I want you to understand here, repentance means a change of direction. It means I'm, I'm repenting from uh, the ways that I have been living, the things that I've been involved in, the environments that I've allowed to uh, for, for, for myself to be in, and I'm repenting of these. And so what I'm truly saying is that, Lord, I'm turning away. I'm, I'm completely turning away from it, and I want to change. I want to get away from the old habits. I want to get away from the old way of life. I want to get away from all of that. And when we do that, then we are placing ourselves in a position of rest, all right? But the Scripture says, in repenting and rest, is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. What we often do is we feel isolated. You know, we're, we're out here all on our own in all of these things that are going on, and that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to feel like you're by yourself in the storms of life. He wants you to feel as if you're all alone. You know, when you're going through the marital problems, oh, you're all by yourself, good luck. Good luck solving this on your own. When you're looking at the bank account, the finances, you're all on your own. Nobody's there to help you. God's no longer a miracle working God. Jesus is not one who can take fish and multiply any longer. When we, we, we oftentimes feel all alone. And so when we do that, here's what we do. We exaggerate the negative. Have you ever done that? You know, the, 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 the slogan, what, you're, you're taking a, you're making a molehill out of a, you're making it become a mountain, right? You're making something so much larger than it truly is. Why is that? Because your mind, you're allowing your mind to wonder. You're allowing your mind to create things that aren't truly there. That's why it's so important for us not to hold on to these issues, but when we give them to God, we're saying, God, here they are. Here's my marriage. Here's my kids. Here's my you know, my finances, my job. Here is me spiritually. I, God, I'm wore out doing this all on my own. I'm giving it all to you. I'm casting all of this into your hands, God. Because every time that I get involved, every time that I, 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 I get on the phone and I try to find answers from everyone else, I'm taking the opportunity away from God to do a wonder or to do the miraculous. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises 
God has made. In other words, God is giving us so many promises. You have promises within your life that you know that God has spoken to you. Things that you are still holding on to. And I want to encourage you, continue to hold on to those things. Don't allow your circumstances around you to, 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 to cause you to let go of God's promises. But here's what the scripture says. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? Yes in Christ. Knowing this, that all of God's promises, all of them that he has spoken to you within your spirit, they are yes. Some of you, you have been praying for the salvation of your friends, your family members, your loved ones, and you're not seeing it come to be. God says, if I have given you the promise, then it will come to be. I love it. So what we're going to do here for the next moment is look at some things that allow us to see God as much larger than, than our, our issues. And, and so we're going to take a look at what then it takes in order for us to understand how a miracle or how a wonder from Christ can take place. Like, what are my responsibilities? What are the things that I need to do? What is the things that I need to practice within my life? And here's number one. And I love this. It's so simple. It's so easy for us to, to say and to agree to, but it's so hard for us many times to live out. And that is this, do what Jesus says to do. Remember in the story, Mary came to Jesus and said, there is no more wine. I believe her entire outlook had changed. And so what she did was she went to everyone and she says something very profound in John chapter two, verse five. She says, his, mother's, his mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. How about this? I, I'm this way, all right? I'm gonna be very transparent here. And that is, I overanalyze everything. Anybody like that, right? Overanalyze everything. Instead of acting when God says to act, I go, wait a minute, how is this going to affect everything? What, what are the potential downfalls to this? Some of you, I can see barely, but I see smiles because you live in that. You've been there, right? Like, you know, the Bible says to do this, but, but you know what? I'm, I'm feeling more like this. Or, you know, I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me and I need to go and address this situation. But how is that going to, you know, what, what's, what's the re repercussion from all of that? I love when Mary says something very direct and she simply says, do what he says to do. Just do it. That's what Nike's slogan is, right? Just do it. Do what he says to do. Oftentimes we can over-theologize everything. In other words, I need to understand it in my brain before I can live it out. You know what that's saying? That says your brain is larger than God. Can I help you with that again? That says that your brain is larger than God. Your way of thinking is greater than God's way of thinking. We oftentimes over-theologize this. When God says to do something, when the Lord prompts us, we are to be obedient to that. Now, let me take a look here with you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, starting with verse 8, says this. The plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. Are you understanding that? Overanalyzing, overthinking everything. 
God says, my thoughts are not the same as yours. All right. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts are higher than yours. I have several things I want to read to you right here that I, I jotted down and I didn't want to forget them. And that is this. God is famous for doing things that are different from us because he knows more than us. He sees things differently than us. And let me help you out. He's much smarter than you are. God is so much more smarter than you are. Far more intelligent. Nothing, as I say this all the time, has never taken him by surprise. The problem is, is we serve God only out of our understanding first and then allowing our heart to be affected. It's so much easier if we would allow our heart to be affected because then that will change our understanding. Analyzing everything and over-theologizing everything. Number two is this. It's something that we need to do. Focus on what God wants to do in you. Have you done that lately? Just, just sit back for a minute and, and God, what do you want to do in me? We're so focused on what you're doing on the outside of us, right? How you're, you're affecting the relationships that I'm involved in and you're, how, God, you're, you're dealing with my emotion. No, God, how are you? I, I want to focus on, Lord, what you want to do inwardly inside of me. You know, um, John chapter 2, verse 6 says this. Nearby stood six stone water jars. The kind used by the Jews, and now remember, remember this two weeks ago, we talked about this very briefly, okay? The kind used for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So understand, here's what was happening. They're in this setting, they're in this reception, they're in this uh, time of celebration, the ceremonial deal, and the wine has ran out. Now, it would have been very easy, I think, and would have made a lot of sense if they would have just looked or Jesus would have looked at the empty wine bottles and filled them up. You may never have thought about this before, but think about it for a moment. He could have simply just looked at the empty wine bottles and filled them up. Instead, what he did was he went to these large jars and he said, bring them to me. They held somewhere between like 20 to 30 gallons of water. And here's what they were meant to use. Back in this day, before they went to church or they went to the temple, when they went in, before they went in, they had to wash their hands. And while they were washing, there was somebody there watching them. And if they did not do it correctly, then what they would do is you cannot enter into this temple. You cannot enter into this sanctuary. You cannot enter into this dwelling. And so they couldn't just wash their hands and let the water drip off their fingertips. But they had to wash their hands in such a way that the water would run down their arms and drip off of their elbows. And again, if they did not adhere to, to what the instructions were and to what tradition was, then they would not be able to go into. Let me help you out here. Our relationship should not, with Christ, should not be the central focus upon tradition, but it should be upon relationship. Jesus said it this way that, you know, and Paul says it this way as well within the scriptures in the New Testament, that what? He wants to get to know us and intimacy 
a closeness with him. So Jesus kind of broke tradition and said, you know what, give me those empty water jars. Empty them out. And then he did the miraculous right before them and he filled them up. Some of us, we need to take this jar of clay, our vessel, and say, Lord, take the traditional side away. from, Take the religion away from me. Take the spirit of religion. Take the expectation of religion away and pour in, Lord, your joy. Pour in, God, what it is that you've intended to pour in. Get rid of what used to be, God, and bring in what you want to be. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, and what is that saying? My faith in Christ has more value than gold, all right, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, in glory, and in honor when Christ Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus Christ is revealed. Are you demonstrating Jesus Christ through your life? Or are we so consumed with religion and the practice of? Now, number three is this. Believe the unbelievable, right? Believe the unbelievable. Trust God in the extraordinary. Let's do that. I want to do that in my life. I want to trust God for the extraordinary. I want to trust God to do the unthinkable, to do the unimaginable. John chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, says, Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Don't limit the size of God's ability to do within your life. God has purposed and he has planned great things for your life. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm talking about God. I want you to release what your purpose, plan, and will is for me. Get me out of the way so that you can do the unimaginable, the unthinkable that you're wanting to do within my very life. Don't allow God to be limited. Mark chapter 10 Verse 27 says it this way. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible with God. You know, I'm reminded of a story. Um, and there's this, there's this blind guy. And, uh, you know, his friend hears that Jesus is doing some remarkable things. He's doing some incredible things. Miracles are taking place, the uh, unbelievable, the unthinkable, all of this. So he takes his friend and he finds out where Jesus is going to be. So he takes his friend to Jesus and he approaches Jesus and he tells him about the friend's problem and that he's blind. And he says, Jesus, if you would just touch him, he'll be able to see. In other words, what is he doing? He's instructing Jesus on how he should perform a miracle. Have you ever done that? 
Lord, if you would just do it this way, everything would be great. If you would do it the way that I need you to do it, the way that I intend for you to do it, the way that I see you doing it, everything would be great. Do you know what Jesus does? He does something I think is hilarious. He spits on the ground. He makes a mud pie and he rubs it on the man's eyes. And as the man cleans it off, what, ha- what, the, what, what happens? The Bible says the man can see clearly. In that moment, he sees. Jesus does the unthinkable. He does the unimaginable, but he doesn't do it according to his friend's expectation. He does it according to what he just simply wants to do. I have no idea why Jesus did the way he did it. All I know is he did it and it worked. Stop fighting the way God is trying to move in your life and just be receptive to his instruction. Listen to his voice and move when he says to move. Don't overanalyze it. Don't overtheologize it. Move according to how God tells you and commands you to do. And this leads us into our final thing, and that is this. Expect the best. God has the best for your life. What is the best? The best for your life can be different from the best for my life. We don't necessarily understand all of it, but I do know this, that we must trust and believe God for the very, very best that he has willed for us. John chapter two, verse 10 says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. You know, the way I look at it in my life, when I see God move in my life, I I tend to think all the time, that's the best thing that God could have ever done for me right now. Right now. What is it that you are needing God to do in your life? What are those promises that you are believing on? Are you truly seeking the will of God and the purpose and the plan that God has for you? You know, Ephesians chapter three says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all, we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. What does that tell me? That God is working in every believer's life. The greatest miracle, the greatest wonder that ever happened to me was when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. The greatest thing ever. It's defined me of who I am today. I'm no longer defined by my reputation. I'm not defined by what I think of myself. I'm not defined by my actions. I'm defined according to who God says I am. I am who he says I am. You are a son and daughter of the most high God. And today we have a great hope. And that hope is in the name of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to bow your heads, close your eyes right where you're at this morning. And maybe you are here on the property. Maybe you are watching us online and you don't know who this Jesus Christ is. Maybe you've never made a full commitment to him. My prayer, my hope, my desire is that before this day ends, 
that that is the very thing, that is the, the decision that you choose to make, and that is, yes, Jesus Christ, come into my life. And that is, if that is you, and, and I want to encourage everybody to pray this prayer with me today. If you're here on the property, within your vehicle, if you're watching us online, I want us to pray this prayer. But if you don't know who this Jesus is, this is your opportunity to give your life to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today I commit my life to you. From this day forward, I will live for you and you alone. Forgive me of my sins. I repent and I ask you, Lord, to lead me according to your plan, your purpose, and your will for my life. I love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. That is awesome. Amen. I love that. There's nothing greater than seeing souls change for eternity. But you know, let's just face it. The challenge for us as believers comes down to the fact that oftentimes we allow ourselves to get in the way of what God is wanting to do in our lives. And when we allow ourselves to get in the way, what we do is, is we try to fix it ourselves. We look for other people to fix it. We, we, we're no longer casting our care to Him because we're holding on to it. We're believing that our thoughts are higher than His thoughts. We're believing that our ways are higher than His ways. And let me help you out. That's just not how it is. God is wanting to work things out in your life. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And He wants it to live out. And He's asking for you to step out of the way and let Him do what He needs to do. Let's pray today. God, we love you. Lord Jesus, we love you. You have given us the ultimate gift, and that is you. And so, Father, today, God, you have a will. You have a life. You have a better life for all of us to live than what we're currently living. That lines up, God, with your will. So, Father, help us to step out of the way and allow you to work. That we truly, Lord, cast our care upon you and not hold on to a portion of it because that's just simply going to fail. But God, that we're giving all of it to you. God, we're, we're believing, God, for the unimaginable. We're believing for the unbelievable, God. That we don't need expl explanation. And God, that we don't need to overanalyze everything. But God, we just need to place it all into your hands and say, God, move in our lives according to what you have purpose. Father, we love you. I love you. I believe, God, that those who are listening and watching and those here on the property, those in their homes, that, God, they are true servants of you. So, God, do what you need to do in their lives. Bring us, God, into a closer relationship with you. And, Father, we thank you and we love you. And, Lord, the psalmist tells us, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Follow the directions of the parking attendants. Have a great day. Lord Jesus, we love you.